Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Shay Hodge, former Ole Miss and retired NFL wide receiver. Hodge is currently a performance trainer for D1 Jackson. Hodge earned 2009-2010 first-team All-SEC recognition, set a career receiving record, became the first 1,000-yard receiver in Ole Miss history, led the SEC in all major receiver categories in 2009, and earned honorable mention All-American honors. However, Hodge, who defines himself as a warrior like the greats of Allen Iverson and Kobe Bryant, fought to keep his career on the gridiron, but injuries played him professionally. Instead of leaving the game, in his words, Guy had a plan for him, to train young athletes just like him to excel in college and professionally. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses the transition of playing high school football in small-town Morton, Mississippi, to playing under the bright lights of Vault hemingway Stadium, his NFL experience, when his injuries began to affect his pro career, and when he knew his purpose of training young athletes and more. This is Season 1, Episode 5 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, The Playbook of Life in Football. Let's get it. Who would you say right now is the top wide receiver in the NFL, and why? Julio Jones is the best. Um, he's a prototype. He's tall, 6'3". He's fast, 4'3 speed. Um, he has elite quickness also. He has elite ball skills. Everything he does is elite blocking, competitiveness, IQ. He got the whole nine yards. Um, he's the best receiver in the league. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have Mr. Shea Hodge. And Shea, it's, glad, it's good to have you on today. I'm glad to be on, man. So, Shea, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, who you are. I know who you are, obviously, uh, having grown up watching you on the football field and what you've done there. But, you know, tell, tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Shea Hodge from um, Morton, Mississippi, went to Morton High School. I um, went on to play at Ole Miss, um, played wide receiver. Um, <clears throat> first 1,000 yard receiving on his history, broke a, a lot of records there, uh, most of the records there. I went on to the NFL, played for two years. Um, now I'm um, coaching. I'm in the coaching field. I was just previously the head coach at Hillcrest Christian School, and now I'm currently the head coach at D1 Training Facility. And I own, well, co own a Rap Precision Academy that me and my SB does, and I also own a apparel line called High Performance. Being that you've had, you know, you've actually a Mississippi athlete, uh, Mississippi product, going on to play at Ole Miss, you know, was that a dream for you to do that, to play at Ole Miss? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Deuce McCallis is from my hometown, and I always looked up on his story, inspired me to know that I can dream big and that um, people from small places can make it big in, this, um, in the real world. What was the biggest adjustment for you coming from 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 high school going to Ole Miss? Football wise, yes. Um, high school wise, it's just playing the people. You know, people, the whole team being good. You know, <clears throat> playing in three A. You know, it's gonna be only like one or two players that's like really, really good. Really, like one. Um, to go into college where everyone's good, but I was prepped for it because of camps. I got to see all these guys at all these camps and me being such a competitor at heart, it didn't hit me hard because I've, I've always went 110% and my mindset has always showed me who the man and I'm going to show you who's better. So um, 
it really wasn't a big adjustment to me other than learning how to play hard off. My biggest adjustment was the weight room. Strength and conditioning, there, there you go, there you go the true answer. Play hard every play. Like I was I was frail when I went to college. I couldn't bench 185. I would play to hit the um, football coach to the um, basketball coach because I played both sports. So if the football coach tried to make me lift weights, I would threaten to go to basketball and probably would indeed go to basketball thing for a couple times. And if the basketball coach tried to make me do the same, anything with hard work I didn't want to do. I just wanted to play in games. So my biggest adjustment was my work ethic, learning how to work, you know, meeting teammates and coaches that's going to push me to work hard every day and maximize my potential and be who I really supposed to be. What was that moment at Ole Miss where you realized, like, you know what, if I want to take the great Shea Hodge from Morton High School, you know, starting off what you did at Ole Miss to the next level, being NFL, what was that? When, when did that light switch come on for you? Um, when I met Dexter McCluster, 5'8", 150, 160 pounds. The guy came in ready to go, man. And I seen him as a freshman out running and out working all the upper class, man. And I and I, I watched him for like a day or two in, in summer, in the summertime, when it's the hardest workouts you're going to do is in the summer. And I watched him just beast him. And I was like, man. I like, I came from high school, I thought I was fast. I thought I was, I just thought I was that dude. And to see him, and I was struggling at first, but my competitive nature took me so far as like, to keep up with him, but like, I, ain't, I never want to be one to keep up. I want to be in the front. I always wanted to excel no matter like what I'm doing. If I'm spitting on the ground, if we spitting on the ground, I want my spit to go farther than yours. That's just how I feel. <laughs> right. Me seeing Dexter excel like that, you know, I, I took to him. Like, I um, befriended him. We became really close, and I just took on his work ethic. I knew for me to unlock the next level of my game and not be one of those guys that went to college that was really good in high school and everybody, like, wondered what happened to him. Mm -hmm. I was offended about people, and I was like, I didn't want that to be me, so I, I located it fast. I was like, if I want to be the guy I'm supposed to be, I got to get more like him. And so we became friends, man. I just took on his work ethic. I am like a – I don't know what you want to call it. Um, I'm one of those guys that can – if I see something that's positive, I like I can I can imitate it very, very well. And that's what I did, man. And I got extremely strong. I got extremely way faster, way quicker. Like I just like went to the next level. And he was already on the next level. And like even today, like right now, I'm gonna give him that praise always, man. He was a great friend, great person, and someone I'm glad God allowed him to meet. What specifically about Dix? How did he, what did he push you specifically for you to work on? He didn't really push me, like, telling me anything. I just watched him. He was already trained up in the weight room. He knew how to do all the lifts. He knew how, he knew all the running forms already. He knew a lot of things that people didn't know coming from Mississippi, like, as far as, like, training. Like, I'm into training. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things that I'm teaching kids right now that I try to get them to take heed to, like, dude, I'm putting you ahead of the curve right now. You may can't see it and think like, oh, I already, I'm already good. I was already good. But look what I'm telling you right now. You know, um, and actually, I tell a lot of them, I'd be honest, I, look, I was better than you. This is what I tell them. I was like, I was better than you, and I set records. So for me to tell you this, and all-time great, that should mean something to you. Like, bro, I'm here to help you. So just seeing how far ahead he was, man, I just wanted to catch up. I'm one of those guys, I, I, don't, I don't get jealous. I don't get envious. If I get envious in a good way, if it's a such thing as being envious in a good way, I want to match you. I want to – it's not no secret competition. I'm going to tell you, like, look, dude, you that guy. 
Right. And I'm trying to be that guy. Now, as a wide receiver, I, like I said, I never played football. I was more of a basketball guy. But I just know it's nothing like you're lined up, you are, you know, going up against a cornerback, defensive back, you know, that's trying to stop you, essentially. And I'm sure with you being wanting to be the best, were there any defensive backs or cornerbacks in college that just really, not necessarily, they, let me say this, they got under your skin as a wide receiver? Like, when you no. know it's this guy, it's like, okay, I know, I know what to expect. Greatness versus greatness, maybe. <clears throat> Get under my skin, nobody I played done that. Um, where I'm from prepped me for all this that I've went through. Um, being from Morton, being from the hood, 481. I grew up with a lot of hard-nosed, thuggish, um, older guys. So they talked a lot of stuff to me. I used to be the runt growing up. So nothing ever rattled me like that. <clears throat> now, anybody that got under my skin were my teammates, like a Cashy Vaughn or Marche Green. <laughs> and, like, I'll – burn them and the ball may get overthrown and be thrown bad where they can make a play or the ball go in my head or something and they'll brag about it and then that, that gets on my skin people bragging about things and not there wasn't anything they done so i would say that but now <clears throat> cornerbacks that was like really good that i had to bring my lunch pail was, was like patrick peterson joe hayden um janoris jenkins all these guys in the nfl like i played against probably Man, probably 10 first and second round corners. Javier Reyes, Kareem Jackson. Mm. Like, I had to bring it every Saturday. You know, it wasn't no cakewalks. And for me to hold my own and let to SEC in 2009 and, um, and catches and yards, um, to be first team all SEC. Um, you know, I can even go to Casey Hayward, Myron uh, Lewis. Uh, I mean, Myron Rose. My, no, Myron Lewis. Myron Rose is the guy who played for State. But Myron Lewis, I mean, I can, I can go through each team and tell you, like, first first round corner, second round corner, third, first round, second round, you know. All those guys I had to really bring my lunch bell. But the one who was the best one that really, really challenged me and, and I felt like I had a good game against, instead of me catching 117 yards with Patrick Peterson. Mm-hmm. All of it wasn't on him, but, like, I got my fair share of catches on him, and they made the comment, um, during that game that Julio Jones only caught one pass against him, it wasn't nothing. It's one or nothing. And I ended up catching seven. Um, all the ones on him, I would not take that credit, but I definitely held my own against him and made some plays against Patrick Peterson. Him being one of the best corners in the NFL, you know, it's, that's a big-time accomplishment, something I've always cherished and um, bring up to anybody I train or, any, or my kids or, you know, or just in the guy talk, you know, like, look, I was one of the best, and it's proven, you know, barring injury, that I think I would have had a very successful career in the NFL. Your 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 short NFL career obviously wasn't the thing that you wanted. And I, you know, as a journalist, we do a lot of research, and I noticed recently, maybe about a month or so, you had posted on your story or posted on your page about like you know uh, uh, having gone through some different things about you know injuries and stuff like that. How your NFL career was short, but you know, God had a plan for you. So in that moment when you knew that your NFL career was going to be cut short, you know, what was going through your head? Honestly, I never knew because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a warrior at heart also, man. Right. When my career, I felt it when I, when I knew. Well, I kind of knew. Let me go back. Let me go back. Okay. How, let's go worry how it happened. I think that'll give a nice story. Um, you know, I, had a, I went through a big-time acne stage in college mm-hmm. where I could my helmet, I had me so many bumps on my face where I couldn't even wear my helmet comfortably. So I had ultimately chose to go through this process of something called Accutane, which has side effects that could mess up your joints, you know, your bone, break your bones easily. 
severely chap your lips, you know, can mess up your liver, a whole bunch of side effects that normally don't happen to people. It's like a small percentage, but I took on that percentage. I was a part of the percentage. Right. It started a deterioration um, process in my right knee. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I was telling the trainers, you know, I just knew something was wrong. You know, I just thought I just hurt my knee and had to build my um, quad back up. And we just worked on that. But throughout the season, when I broke those records, man, I, I couldn't bend down. Like, people don't even notice. Like, NFL coaches and all, they just thought I wasn't that competitive, like, in, like, the Alabama game. You know, that's when it really hit me. I hyperextended my knee that game. So a hyperextension on top of Carly's deteriorating, like, I was done that game, you know. And also um, battling emotion, emotional battles. That game also is something I will talk about later. But, you know, um, going through all that, that that was tough, you know. And then going to the NFL, rated as a second, third round pick, you know, only to find, only for them to find out at the combine. And I didn't know what was wrong still at that time, you know. So me to stick it out. Oh, let me go back. Senior Bowl. I made it to the Senior Bowl. Last day of practice on the Friday, Thursday, we play on Saturday. Last mm-hmm. day of real practice on the Thursday, I jump up. I remember who it was, Harry Coleman from LSU. I jump up over and catch the ball, come down. I come down his foot like a basketball player would, but I came down, I got on cleats. So my ankle, I mean, my foot hits, boom, my ankle go like this. Come to find out, they say it's a high ankle sprain. Come to find out that I had a um, hairline fracture Ooh. in my ankle. So I'm injuries at once, don't even know, going through the whole process. So for me to last a year and a half, two years in NFL on, you know, ultimately getting um, promoted from the practice squad with the Bengals to the active roster, getting to play with Terrell Owens, Chad Johnson, all them, you know, I always look back on it like, man, that was a blessing. Shay, you don't even know what you were going through at the time. You just were being a warrior. So to fast forward to what the question was, I didn't really know my career was over. You know, I was battling. I was like, man, I'm going to get back. So I went through a long, about six, seven years of trying, you know, I was getting signed in the AFL, getting signed in the CFL because of my college film and just the clout that my name held in the sports world, you know, in the football world. Them knowing me, knowing I should have been a um, pick, a second, third round pick, no later in the field, um, it, it, it carried weight for me to get signed, but I never was healthy. So I took time out from about 2014 to about 2018, 16, no, about 2012 to 2016, there we go. Where I found out what I needed, which was some treatments Kobe got done. One of the guys I trained with named Denario Alexander was a great receiver. He actually led the whole country in yards. He had like almost 2,000 yards receiving from Missouri. He kept battling knee injuries, and he had knew about this. He got it done. One day, like in 2000, the end of 2014 or something, he sent it to me. He sent me the article and like, Shay, what you need to get done. You talk about your knee. Boom, I'm set out. I'm like, I got to find out how I'm going to make this money to get this done. Right. And finally, 2016, I got it done. And I'm happy as ever. I'm like, here you go. I get my chin and I can write my own story. Right. I was right. like, finally. So I finally built up enough money, talked to the doctor, got a discount on the deal. It's in New York. I go and get it done. I'm ready to go. I go to a trial, I kill it. Coach asked me, man, how you ain't been signed? I was like, coach, it was never my talent. Like, I've always been talented and I always had the um, the skill set to make it. It just I was never durable since college. I, like, I couldn't get healthy. I couldn't fix my knee. So I finally got it done. But at that tryout, I find out. Well, I didn't find out then, but I evaluated and I found out, like, it wasn't just my right knee. 
it was like my whole right side. And maybe more than that, because you know, if you ever hurt someone, when you hurt one thing, or say say if I scratch myself here right. one day, it's, it's, it can be a ripple effect. Next day or whatever, it's a new wound over here. This one is gonna take more. I guess you want to say it's gonna take first place, and this one gonna like sit to the side. You won't even really know that's really hurt anymore. So anyway, here go what I mean. My I found out that my um cartilage, not cartilage, my tissue, which is basically the cartilage in your foot, it was it happened there too. So I'm running rounds, so I'm doing everything at that trial, and at the end I, I pop this one popping my foot, but it's at the end of the trials. I already killed it. So I was like, you know, I go home. He was like, man, man we probably gonna sign you. So I get signed, and then I tell my agent at the time, I say like, something on my foot. So anyway, I, I I stick it out, I go through it. I kept trying to get treatments, you know, and everything, ultrasounds and everything, just a whole bunch of stuff, just trying to get ready for camp. I go to camp, the everyday wear and tear on it, it caught up to me again. So I'm not durable again, I get cut. And was like, Shay, you're not the same player that we seen at that tryout. I was like, yeah, man, I'm battling my foot now. It was like, man, he's like, you get healthy, it'll possibly bring you back. I'm devastated. I'm like, man, I went through all that to get my foot fixed. I mean, my knee fixed. On the find out my foot got the same issue. So that's when I said I knew that's when I knew it was done. 2016 is when I knew it was done. I was like, that's it. I like God gotta have something there for me. And you know, I set out to figure out like what is it? Like I knew I would coach, but I was like, how soon? Um, that's gonna take time, you know, getting into the profession completely because it's a brotherhood. I knew that because I always do my homework, I always talk to people, I always try to learn from people that's in the professions of anything I'm trying to do. So like, you know, I took on a job being a supervisor at a, at a chicken plant, but I was miserable. Then I took on a job trying to make a lot of money. I was into trying to make money at the time, and that's when I figured out, like, man, I can't do stuff for money. I got to do stuff for my passion. Like, I'm a passionate guy. If you ever talk to me, I'll get loud and everything as I talk because I'm just a passionate person. Right. Um, that's when I said, man, you know, I got to go head on and go to go to coaching because – no matter how much money it's going to pay me, it's going to make me happy. I'm more about happiness than money, and money will follow passion if you're really good at what you do. Exactly. So, you know, that's the story of when I knew it was over, and that's when I got into coaching, man, and I've been the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Well, equally as happy as I was playing football to give back to these kids, man, and teach them and nurture them and change their mindsets and show them the things that other people showed me, man. You know, it, it's it's so – it's just it's just surreal. It's a surreal feeling. When you're coaching these guys, what what do what, like what are some of the the big obviously you, you're training them, but what are some what are some of the key things that you really want to uh you that you want them to remember? You know, granted, you've been through different obstacles, you've been through setbacks, you know, a lot. And you know, for the for the kid that's coming from, you know, maybe a small town in Mississippi trying to make it to the next level, uh, whether going to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Jackson State, what are you telling them? You know, to keep them motivated. The first thing I focus on is mindset shifting now. A lot of kids, even adults, we don't hold a lot of accountability for what we do and who we really are. What are you exemplifying? What are, you, what are your actions showing who you really are? Not who you want to be, who you really are. Mm -hmm. um, the next is like holding accountability to it. Like, you say you want to be this person. Show me. That's how I live my life. I'm going to prove it to you who I am and what I can do. Now I'm setting out to prove to kids who I am and what I do now, along with, you know, college coaches, because I want to get them recruited also. Then next, I want them to, to be real with themselves, like, what, what are my weaknesses? Write them down. 
Figure it out. Like, watch your own self. Take it out of this you doing it. Man, like it was somebody else, because we all criticize people. Right. And like it's not you and criticize. Now take it to the drawing board. Like, how can I fix each one of these things? That's where I come to play. So now I'm looking at it myself. So I bring me eval them, see what they can do, see what they can't do, and then I go from there. I want them to take from me, um, and it's not, you know, it's not in any cocky way, but like you're learning from somebody that's been through it. Exactly. You're learning from somebody that's an all college, a big um college. You learn from somebody that um was a first team ICC receiver. Um honorable mention all American, just all the things that matter to me when I play. Because the first thing I want to know, man, when somebody tried to tell me something, what did you do? <laughs> first thing, what did you do? How can you tell me what to do if you don't know? Now that was bad for a kid, but it ultimately really good when I look back on it. But not but knowing that every great coach didn't play. You know, but for the most part, not for the most part, but for me, being a guy, because even if you didn't play, do you study the game, you can learn it. But imagine someone that studies the game like hardcore, a geek, a nerd, whatever you want to call about it, about learning and growth. Now, couple that with experience. You can't beat it. So, you know, I just want them to know that and know that I'm there for them. Like, I'm here. It's not only just training. It's here for mentoring, um, spiritual, like trying to build them on spiritually too, trying to push them towards God. Um, if they don't believe in it, you know, I leave that alone. Uh, I mention things by nature, you know, this just because what I believe in. I, um, just ultimately just letting them know it's a male in their life that really cares about their future. What are some of the things you notice in a lot of young athletes? especially when you're training football players, but more so specifically in young wide receivers? Um, just raw. They raw, man. They're just an athlete. Um, and they'll get to school. And they'll be behind just like I was, you know, just being an athlete. Um, if they're not a nerd like I was about the game, you know, um, I was always watching receivers and seeing what they do, and I would just copy them. So I, I, that would got me up to speed by myself. But, like, if you just – a lot of entitlement, too. They think because I'm good, I'm just going to get away with everything. You know, uh, I ain't got to do schoolwork. I ain't got to do this. You know, I go further just to train it. I've also learned that grades correlates to training, how they do in training, how well do they listen. Because some kids come and they like sharp. They like everything I say, they boom, 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 they do it. Then you have those ones that come and, and, and they do their own thing. And sometimes I'll be out of line a little bit, but, but I be wanting to know. It's like an evaluation thing I do. Like I like to do my own little studies. So I ask the questions like, um, I be like, the ones that are sharp, like he got he got good grades done today, mom, just to see if this, does the correlation really, is it really true? They're like, yeah, he's an underrolled student. Then it'd be another one that, that doesn't really listen. I said, how, I'm like, how's his school? I, like, how does he do in school? Like, oh, he, he all right, he made like C's or he, he flunking a class here and then. I'm like, man, it's so crazy that it correlates. It, it literally correlates. So, um, and then like a lot of them are defined. They don't want to be told that they ain't doing something right. They feel like they feel like they always right. Like, and I and the way I get through to them, I feel like the regular person, they would just go against. Because they're like, what can you tell me? You didn't play, but they can't use it against me. I'd be like, what can you tell me? I done what you're trying to do. <laughs> so, you know, just that defiance, uh, thinking they know everything, um, not being great listeners. Um, those are some of the negatives, but, like, they be athletic. 
they be athletic as ever. And like I tell a lot of people to the naked eye, you know, just the people that just around and just like to talk football or think they know. And they be like, oh, you didn't really do nothing to help him. I'm like, yeah, because you can't see the details. You didn't go around being. You don't know that there's a bunch of great athletes that don't make it. Right. <laughs> there, it's a, for every one success story, there's a million failures of a kid that's super athletic. Like, there's going to always be athletic kids everywhere you go. I'm talking about everywhere you go. But who there to help that kid that's borderline or, like, that's very talented that can't be told nothing? Who going to get through to him? And that's what I do. That's what I'm setting out to do, you know, to help those – to help everybody, but definitely to help those kids because I was considered the kid that wouldn't listen to everybody. Listen to anybody that's supposed to have been bad. Um, and it took coaches to get through to me. They showed me a new way. Shout out Pierre Fletcher, man. Him coming to Morton uh, High School. He from there. He went on to coach college, but he decided to come back to Morton for some crazy reason. Guys, I know who sent him now. <laughs> the change. Him, got this cocky kid that think everybody owed me something because I was good since I was like two, three years old. Uh, and to push me towards God to understand that, like, he's bigger than me. He's going to be bigger than, than ball when it's over. Because at some point or another, the ball going to go flat. I don't care who you are, Michael Jordan, LeBron. I don't care who you're, Kobe. It's going to go flat. Whether you play 20 years, whether you play a year, it's going to go flat. What you going to do after ball? And that's what he taught me, man. And that's what I want to do for the kids, too, like life after ball, too. Lab. That's what coaches used to call the lab. Um, just teaching them. The skill that you're going to learn in football, the attention to detail, is going to carry you farther in life than you ever could imagine because a lot of people be like, what's the difference between you? I can teach them kids how to do the same thing. I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't because you got to have that woman quality, what I call it. You got to have that attention to detail. You got to want to draw that straight line. You got to want to literally pinpoint out everything about what they're doing and break it all down. Anybody can watch a video and be like, hey, do, do this, but do you know the, the, the what and the why to what you're doing and can you Catch them when they're doing the little bitty slightest thing wrong that may hinder him from learning and reaching his full potential. That's the part that I bring to the table that other guys don't knock on them, but like that's my that's my that's my niche. What what has it been like, you know, working at D one and then also you you um how has your relationship with Mike Espy changed over the years? Man, D one has been a blessing to me. Meet meeting Mike has been an extreme blessing, you know. Um I used to see him when I used to play at Ole Miss. I never really talked to him. Just like, I really talked to you. He like, but I used to watch him. He, he's, he said, I used, to, I used to be like, yeah, man, that boy cold. He cold. And just like I told him, man, I used to watch you. I used to be like, yeah, he cold. <laughs> you know, it was mutual respect. We just had never really, like, uh, formally met each other. But, you know, um, Ben Credit, shout out to Ben Credit. Also, shout out to Chris Kellum. You know, my mindset coach, my life coach, one of the other guys that got me right to keep me on the straight and the narrow. You know, everybody needs somebody that's going to check them, you know, you know, just teaching me things, man, even as a 32-year-old man. Um, but being Craig, my big bro, man, love him for life, man, coming into my life. And he, he told me, I had already met Mike, Mike by this time because he started training me, him and Dion Hodges. Started training me back when I was trying to get back into the NFL. So they won't push me to make that um the team in Saskatchewan and CFL. Um but he told me he was like, man, you need to get into coaching. And pushed me toward me meeting Mike and um at first he wouldn't let me in because you know the dynamics weren't right at the job. We had too many people doing the same thing. So but over the years, you know, I waited my turn and 
man, it's been magnificent um, to do a job that you love, to make your own schedule for the most part, um, to be around positive guys, someone that really likes you, dealing with a boss that's that's your friend too and care about you. You know, man, it's been the biggest blessing. It's the it's equally or the second best best blessing I've had um, as far as like going into coaching. You know, coaching is first, and then this is second. Shout out to Mike Espy, um, that's my dog. Uh, one of the best trainers I ever seen. I've went to Miami. I've went to other places and trained for the draft and um, trained in Hattiesburg and no great trainers. And he's right up there with him or, or even better, you know. It's, it's, it's phenomenal what he's doing and how he built his place up from the ground up. There's nothing out here about D1. And we bring in athlete after athlete, top athlete after athlete after athlete, even adults, you know. Just watch him build a business and admiration and admiring it you know, um, how he did it. Because I pick brains a lot. People be like, like local people that were on Frank, like, you think you know everything. I'm like, man, if you listen and ask me any questions I do, you will too. <laughs> but, uh, so I pick his brain a lot, man, teaching you about speed, teaching you about how to build your brand, how to build your clientele, how to um, just the overall aspect of just running the business to the point I know I can do it by myself now, but I'll never do it um, as long as I'm here because – I'm just loyal to my guy, man. You know, if I was to do it, I'd do it on the side. You know, I was always I would always be loyal to him because that's just how I'm built, man. Just like with being credit, <laughs> just like with Chris Kellerman, a lot of other guys, man. I try to be a lawyer if possible. And you know, back to your question, man, it's just been a blessing, man, to work at D1 and to meet Mike. Who would you say right now is the top wide receiver in the NFL and why? Julio Jones is the best. Um, he's a prototype. He's tall, 6'3". He's fast, 4'3 speed. Um, he has elite quickness also. He has elite ball skills. Everything he does is elite. Blocking, competitiveness, IQ. He got the whole nine yards. Um, he's the best receiver in the league. Um, I like to do a top five. So second, I usually say A.B., but A.B.'s not in the league anymore, even though he's smaller, which he can quote-unquote been first because of his production. Um, I actually trained with him for the draft. We like came out the same time, actually had some back and forth words about who was better <laughs> at that time. The heart, man, that guy was really, really good. But right now I gotta say, Hop is second. Hop is second, man. Hop is a dog. I don't feel like he uh, possesses the every check mark. But like he's extremely, extremely good, man. That guy makes it happen. His catch rate is crazy, his hands are crazy, how he gets open is crazy. Exactly. Right. He he know how to get open. I don't think <laughs> Second gear, like the elite speed, but you wouldn't know that. You know, there's a lot of receivers that are really good that you wouldn't know that. Heck, it was me. I never could run past 449, 45. Hey, if I'm not in shape and really don't train, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm run four six. You know, but you couldn't tell when I'm playing because my competitive nature gonna take over if I catch the ball. I'm gone. But answer your question, Mike. I gotta I gotta ask this. My favorite wide receiver is Odell Beckham. <laughs> He possesses it all except for the size. Right. But the thing him is that how flashy he is. I I've learned over the years I'm flashy. You know, I I become one at my with myself about who I really am. And so I like the flashy, cool, pretty boyish guy, you know, um, and that's Odell. Odell is that guy. And so, you know, he do it with style and grace, man. I love the way he does it. But if I'm going with the best receiver in the league, hands down is Julio Jones. When you start looking at Mississippi athletes now, and like you and SB have trained a lot of them, uh, when you look at the the group of athletes this year and what they're going through, 
you know, you know, through a COVID-19 pandemic, what are some things that you're telling them to stay motivated, to stay together in terms of continuing to get better? Um, especially in the offseason, <clears throat> just get in the lab, man. That's what we call it, the lab. Get in the lab, man. Stay sharp on your skills because what you don't use, you lose. And I always use the um, situation with me with two things um, with my speed. Like when I was younger, I was really, really fast. But I was really, really fast because I was always running. I was always racing people. I was always competing. But then I got to a certain point where I could beat everybody and I was like, wouldn't even run anymore. Like, nope. They were like, let's raise them. Nope. Everybody raise them. I'm like, ah, I'm better now. I ain't going to do it. So then by the time I left high school, I was running slower, like four or five all the time, four or six. So then um, I always use the um, analogy or the story about um, my arm. In ninth grade, I could throw a ball probably like 60 yards, 65 yards on the line. Like I had an arm, a big time arm. And I didn't want to play quarterback no more after ninth grade, really. I wanted to play receiver. And so I didn't work at it. The next year I come back, I can't throw but like 40 yards maybe. And that's I just that's being generous. So I always tell them what you don't use, you lose. What, what would you say makes Michael Thomas so successful in, in, in what he does with the Saints? You no, know, granted, he just got hurt Sunday, um, probably will miss a week. But, you know, what makes him so successful at, at the position? First of all, let me profess my new team is the Saints. <laughs> I haven't had a team. <laughs> I haven't had a team since then, but now with Demario Davis, I'm associated with him. That's my dog. Louis seven on seventeen. I gotta profess that on this podcast that that is my new team. Here you go, Michael Thomas. His short air quickness is his thing. His attention to detail. His short air quickness. He has extremely big hands and he has extremely great hands. He has great ball skills. He puts me in the mind of like hop. You know, he doesn't. I don't feel like he possesses the um, elite speed, but you don't have to have that to be an elite receiver. All you got to have is enough speed to run past somebody and you get a stacked position, it's over. Like, it's, it's, it's attention to details. It's, uh, it's, it's knowing the nuance of the position. And so, short air quickness, man, how you can get up on you, the wiggle too, he has wiggle. So, to get right up on you and being able to do this, it looks to the naked eye like I'm just wiggling. But having the footwork to know how to do that and actually have some guy giving with it to where you're going to actually make the dude miss you, um, it's something that's underrated in receivers, man. And then him just being route saving and having a great quarterback also. The system fits him too. You know, he I think he uh, he benefits a lot from the system, but that guy make it anywhere he go. He's like in the he's in the mode of like um Devontae Adams. Like he has a lot of short air quickness also. If you're looking at all time wide receivers, top five or top ten, who would you name? All time. All ten? Um Oh, anywhere, anywhere from five to ten. All time top two. I'll go top two. All right. I'm gonna leave some people out and in my list and I'm biased. And I'll go back on it later at another time. But number one, or one A and one B, I'm going Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. I honestly did feel like Randy Moss is better. Because that deep ball ability, man, that's a one and gone. That's a one play and boom, touchdown. Just throw it up. I'm jumping over everybody. I just didn't feel like he worked on his routes enough to be completely number one. I got to keep Jerry right there with him if I'm going to do that. Two and three, I played with him. I played with him. I'm being biased. I'm leaving somebody out. I can't think clearly right now, but Chad Johnson, Terrell Owens. Two and three. Uh, I'm going to Terrell Owens third. 
Chad Johnson for him. I'm biased now. Like, I haven't had time. You put me on the spot, so I can't sit here. People going to go against this list when they hear this podcast. Right, right. Uh, fifth, fifth, fifth. Who would I put in my top five? I can't get nobody that's playing right now. They, they haven't done enough. Um. Oh, they got to be like between Michael Irving, Chris Carter, one of those guys. I didn't really get to watch. I couldn't analyze the game at that time. I know they wasn't fast, but I know those guys stayed open and they got a lot of catching. They are, they are in the Hall of Fame. Right. So, you know, it, equally at five probably, you know, with Lynn Swan and all them also, you know, it's a lot of guys I'm leaving out because I didn't get to solely watch them as, right. like, in the analytical skills I had breaking down the position. So I'm just going to go by guys I kind of got a chance to watch, you know. I had to put Michael Irvin and, and Chris Carter equally at four. And, I mean, at five, A and B. Stay tuned for episode six of the Red Diamond Report podcast next week. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the Red Diamond Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.